to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning on a Friday, welcoming WorldSoccerTalk.com and the YouTubes. Hi, YouTube. It's good to be back. How are you? How's your soccer? How's your football? How is everything heading into a big weekend as the club game returns across the globe, plus... MLS Cup playoffs, plus what else? Corruption in FIFA, always, always corruption in FIFA. Copa America Centenario in the news. We're going to get to all of that. Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter. He will join us uh, momentarily, just a couple of minutes. Talk about some Mexican things. Did you know that the Liga MX playoffs are, are just around the corner? Did you know that there is one match day left in the Apertura of the 2015-2016 League MX season. Did you know this? I don't know if you knew this, but this is true. We're going to take a look at the standings. We'll look at uh, who's going to make the playoffs, who uh, who's going to miss out. And as always, we'll check on a couple of American players down there. That's what we do around here. All right, let's, let's start with the news. Let's start with El Clasico. That is coming up tomorrow. You are ready for El Clasico or you are not ready. There is no in-between. Lionel Messi. He may be actually in between. A uh, question of whether or not he will play. Unlikely to start, I would imagine, from Luis Enrique, uh, uh, erring on the side of caution with his superstar. They do have Neymar. They do have Suarez. They do have plenty of firepower in that team. Also, uh, Rakitic, whether or not he comes back is a question. On the other side of things, lots of pressure on Rafa Benitez and Real Madrid to get a win at home over their biggest rival to keep themselves in the title race. It's three points now. If Barcelona beats Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, you can only imagine how much that will uh, come down on Rafa Benitez's head uh, there in Spain. As I mentioned, MLS Cup playoffs coming up this Sunday. Portland, FC Dallas, Columbus, New York Red Bulls uh, in the first one, in the former. Portland and FC Dallas, two big missing pieces for Portland as they host the first leg against the high-flying FC Dallas team. Diego Valeri, Rodney Wallace, both going to miss out due to yellow card accumulation. That's uh, going to make things interesting for Caleb Porter and company. Uh, you still got Nagby. You still got Adi. You still have some pieces there. But clearly missing a, a wing threat like Wallace and a player in the middle of the park who can pull strings like Diego Valeri is going to limit the attack for the Portland Timbers. Meanwhile, in Columbus, New York Red Bulls in town. Mafray Stadium sold out for Sunday's match. It's going to, they're going to set a playoff attendance record at that stadium for that team. Good to see Columbus making some waves in that town at the same time that their uh, their certain local college football team is doing things as well. Red Bulls goalkeeper, just a note here, Luis Robles was named MLS Goalkeeper of the Year uh, as voted by players, media, and the like. Uh, so congratulations to Luis. Uh, MLS teams are getting ready to uh, begin the process, or they're, they're starting the process of getting ready for 2016. It's already underway. A couple of items out there floating around as we get towards, of course, we're going to have to wait until the playoffs are over before we get to that free agency period. Uh, clearly, there are some um, so, some player movement issues that will be sorted out. But a couple of names that have been locked down, Javier Morales signing a, a, a new deal with RSL that will keep him uh, as a member of that team. He's obviously been a huge figure for Real Salt Lake over the years after they turned themselves 
into a big-time MLS team, a, a constant playoff contender. Uh, he missed out this year for the first time in seven years, but he did sign a multi-year contract. He's going to turn 36 years old in January. Maybe if you're an RSL fan, you wonder a little bit about the direction, but it's Javier Morales. How can you not love the guy? He said, I want to finish my career here with Real Salt Lake. RSL is the most important team in my life. It's the team that didn't just make me a better player. The club made me a better person. I came here, and it was magic. Everything changed, and everything was good for me and my family. Also signed, Kendall Waston, defender, Costa Rican defender for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He signs a multi-year extension. Head coach Carl Robinson said, Kendall is an important building block in what we're trying to accomplish at this club. Uh, he's, his passion, physical presence, and ability to come up big in crucial situations have been instrumental to our success. He's a leader on the pitch and in the locker room. And we're excited to have arguably the best center back in the league during the prime of his career. Uh, certainly one of the best uh, central defenders in the league. Kendall Watson joined last year uh, from uh, Saprissa in Costa Rica and will stay there in Vancouver. Copa America Centenario. Again, I said it was in the news because one of the dominoes have fallen. That is the identification of the 10 host cities for that tournament set for next summer. MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, Florida, NRG Stadium in Houston, Soldier Field in Chicago, University of Phoenix Stadium outside of Phoenix, Levi Stadium in the Bay Area, CenturyLink Field in Seattle, and the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Now, here's the problem. Five of those, a full five of those venues have artificial surfaces, which means we're going to be seeing sod laid over the, the top of those artificial surfaces. Uh, I have issues with that. I actually think it makes the soccer worse than the turf, although it's maybe it's uh, half and, uh, six and one, half dozen the other. Uh, but this is, these are all big stadiums. They're going to maximize the earning potential of this tournament. And we always knew that this was as much about money as anything else, even... Um, even with the corruption scandal, it's such a good idea. They went ahead and pushed through to keep this tournament on track. Again, I mentioned the return of club football this weekend after an international break. Hamburg and Dortmund today. That's a good one. Manchester United heading to Watford. Uh, not, not much of a challenge you would imagine, but they won't have Wayne Rooney and they won't have Anthony Mar uh, Martial. Rooney is sick. Martial is uh, picked up an injury in, uh, in France's match against England this weekend, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday. Manchester City and, Ella, and Liverpool go up against each other this weekend. Uh, I believe that game's tomorrow as well. Schalke and Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, and Juve AC Milan in Italy. Those are your highlight games. Swiss investigators examining World Cup corruption have told the AFP that they are looking into a growing list of suspicious financial transactions and want evidence from disgraced Qatari football power broker Mohammed bin Hammam. I am reading that directly from World Soccer Talk. Go find the story over there. Switzerland's Office of the Attorney General, which is looking into the 2018 and 2022 World Cups, said there are now uh, they now have more than 120 suspicious transactions linked to FIFA's decision to award the tournaments to Russia and Qatar five years ago. Th that figure is up from 103 in August. So this is a continuing investigation that now has identified that 120 different suspicious um, transactions. We'll see if there is any ultimate fallout. I still I find it difficult to believe that either one of these World Cups will be stripped from their current uh, hosts, but it, maybe you have some hope, maybe you dream there. Let's take a break. Coming back, Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup. He'll join us. We'll talk Mexican soccer with our good friend. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Friday. Good to have back on the program our friend Tom Marshall. You can follow him on Twitter at Mexico World Cup. Uh, he writes on Mexican uh, soccer, football uh, for numerous outlets, including ESPN FC. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jason. How's it going? It's going well. It's uh, it's not going as well for me and my particular team as it is for Mexico and their national team. And we'll get to the to the league here in a couple of minutes. But we have to start with L3. They have a new head coach. His name is Juan Carlos Osorio. Uh, two matches in. Everything going fairly well, uh, winning away uh, in Honduras, uh, never an easy feat uh, for anybody. Uh, Mexico hadn't done it in something like 22 years. Uh, and even if the game was not a pretty affair, Tom, just to get that result uh, has to be good for Juan Carlos. Yeah, I mean, so many managers have come and gone and, and tried to get that result in Honduras and, and especially San Pedro Sula. I think it's 50 years since the Mexican national team won in that particular city. So, you know, really tough place to go. And Osorio, I think, you know, he's been questioned when he's, when he's come in. Um, I don't think a lot of people down here basically were saying, who's this? You know, what's he done? What's he done to deserve to be the national team coach? So, um, I think these last two games have, have just kind of, settled him down a bit and people have, have thought right oh this this guy may actually know what he's doing and uh you know i think he really does i mean um he's he's you know he's tinkered he's he's in the first game against el salvador he's played like a 4-2-4 formation in the second game he's played like a 5-2-3 yeah. um, in honduras so you know he's really tinkering but um, I, I personally think it's great. I think it's uh, exactly what Mexican football needs. It's um, that's certainly not run of the mill tinkering. That's uh, you know, our, our friend Andrea Canales. I saw her on Twitter, sort of identifying, and I don't know that I remember this from his time in MLS, but she sort of identified him as, uh, you know, in the Bielsa mold, sort of, sort of in his approach to the game. Maybe not as as loco as as el loco, but but perhaps in the same <laughs> sort of notion about, especially with the attacking talent that that Mexico has, utilizing to its full extent. Yeah, no, he's um, he's definitely uh, made an impression. I think that you know against El Salvador, especially in the first game, it's um, it's like perhaps some, a coach like Chepo de la Torre would have played like a defensive midfielder, and you know um, Osorio basically played a four-two-four with Arre uh, Hector Herrera and, and Andres Guardado in the centre. So it was definitely an attacking approach. I think you know, I think he's got a you know pragmatic streak as well. I mean, playing five at the back against Honduras. I think they really frustrated the Honduras side. And I think that obviously going down there and I was down there and, you know, you speak to Honduras fans and are so desperate to beat Mexico. It's like a source of kind of national pride that Mexico don't go to Honduras and get and get a victory. So it is a really tough place to go. And um, I think tactically, Osorio got it absolutely spot on. Um, his first substitution was Tecatito Corona. Uh, five minutes later, he scores a goal. Yeah. Second substitution a Jürgen few minutes Dam. later, yeah. Jürgen Dam comes on. A couple of minutes later, steals the ball, goal. I mean, everything that, that Osorio did in that game against Honduras seemed to just turn to gold. Yeah, like I said, it, it wasn't pretty. I watched, uh, I, I saw I saw both Tecatito and, and, and Dam's uh, goals, so I didn't manage to stick it out that long. But the rest of it was... <laughs> was pretty atrocious, uh, Tom. But yeah, when you go to San Pedro Sula, uh, maybe you don't expect to play uh, any any real fun soccer. And and I guess um, you know what we look at uh, what we look at here is whether or not Juan Carlos Osorio can sort of recapture that Miguel Herrera spirit from the beginning of his tenure. Because 
this team fed so much on the energy of, of Miguel Herrera. I, I don't know that Juan Carlos is exactly the same kind of guy, but he certainly has the, the same sort of enthusiasm about the game. Well, I think that in many ways, Miguel Herrera and Osorio are complete opposites. I mean, you listen to the press conferences and the detail that Osorio goes into kind of tactically and, and, you know, he's a serious, serious guy. And, you know, Herrera wasn't necessarily like that when talking about the game. I mean, it was like, I think I said it, it was like a, you know, a, a town hall debate when Miguel Herrera was, uh, was giving a press conference, whereas Osorio's is like being in the lecture hall. You know, it's a, it's very different atmosphere. Um, but I think that aside from who's the coach right now, I think the group of players that Mexico has is is very united. I think there's a really strong group, um, you know, central group there within the squad that I think is, regardless of who's coach now, is going to continue that that kind of positive team spirit that that we've seen really, um, you know, in the Gold Cup and and obviously the Concacaf the Concacaf Cup against the United States and now in these two uh, World Cup qualifying games. But yeah, it's going to be the fascinating thing with Osorio is that all right, he's made these changes now. The first two games, it's very early days. Everybody's, you know, slapping slap him, slap him in on the back and everything's all rosy. Yeah. The big thing's going to be when he tinkers, when he leaves out Chicharito, when he leaves out, you know, other other big names and doesn't get the result. Yeah. Because just, you know, from being in that game in Mexico City, from being down in Honduras and, you know, you, you hear the press talking and you hear the, you know, the big Mexican names and I'm still not convinced that these guys are going to give him any kind of slack at all. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the the big fans of him, to be honest. And, well, and I think he, that they might jump on him at first opportunity. He, he doesn't have he doesn't have the same sort of profile as as a, as a Bielsa or or some of the other candidates uh, for that job before he ended up getting it. So that you imagine he does have a shorter leash with them than than somebody like that. Uh, and he does. You mentioned the tinkering and, and maybe when he tinkers wrong because. I, one thing I do recall about Juan Carlos Osorio is he does have a streak of overthinking things. Um, that hasn't been an issue in the first two matches, but at some point it may come, uh, it may come up for Mexico. Um, all, all things considered though, Tom, I mean, you know, you give him flying colors through the two matches that, that they've played in qualifying so far and, and, you know, he'll have, uh, he'll have some time to, to work things, uh, to continue to work things behind the scenes and, and scout players and, and get his system, um, more concretely in place, I imagine, um, it, it, before March comes and, and we play again. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's on the right track. I think that, um, I think he's brilliant. I mean, I think he's, I'm not saying he is the right coach for Mexico, but I think he's, um, he's got the, the profile and the, and the mental attributes. In terms of thinking about the game, I think there's very few Mexican coaches, and I mean this is quite a fierce criticism, who, who have gone out the kind of bubble, the comfort zone, and gone over to to different countries and learnt how they do things there, and kind of you know learnt the best practices that is going on in the game. And uh, Juan Carlos Osorio is somebody who's, who's set the bar, his personal bar high, and um, you know it's going to be fascinating to see that how how that relates back to Mexico and whether whether he's actually given time to. To, to implement changes and, and um, you know, and really settle in. All right, let's uh, let's turn now away from L3, who again are doing fine, six points in qualifying so far, round four, uh, uh, sorry, um, um, yeah, the fourth round is not exactly the most challenging of the bunch. We'll see what happens come the hexagonal, but 
Uh, we also have the league. And as, as I mentioned at the top, or before we came on the air, actually, the, the Apertura is down to its final week. We've got some jockeying for playoff position. We know some of these teams, I imagine. And we'll get the playoffs underway in, uh, in, in, uh, in due time. From your perspective right now, what, where are the intriguing uh, matchups? Where are the intriguing storylines uh, with this last, last weekend of matches for the Apertura? Well, I think Morelia against Veracruz, it's not maybe the most, uh, you know, the, the one that, that attracts most attention, but it looks like the, the winner of that is going to be through to the playoffs. So, you know, definitely that's, it's going to be an intense game. It's basically a one game to, you know, to get into the postseason. Uh, Monterrey away at Toluca on Sunday. Monterrey are likely to need a victory to get in. And obviously Monterrey have got a new 50,000 plus stadium. So there's quite a lot of pressure on them and they've got an absolute top, top quality squad, arguably. The, one of the top three in the league. So yeah, there's definitely pressure there, pressure there. Uh, over in Mexico City, it's the big derby between, um, America and Pumas. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of pride at state, university club Pumas against the, against the, the big giants of the, of the Mexican game America. So yeah, that's definitely one to watch. They're both through already to the playoffs. So, you know, that's something to, to bear in mind. But, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's basically, there's basically, you know, a couple of playoff stakes, playoff places at stake. And, um, you know, it goes down from Chiapas, Puebla, Veracruz, Monterrey, and Morelia are all going for those last three places. Okay. Yeah. The, everybody from, um, everybody from, from sixth place down. Did you mention, you said Leon or you did not mention Leon? No, Leon are already, already in. in. Okay. So everybody one through five are, are right now are in. That does not mean that, that doesn't mean that's where they're, they'll end up in terms of their seating, um, when the playoffs start. Um, so overall, I mean, uh, this, this particular apertura, and, and we've had some distractions and we've had some other things pop up that maybe, um, have, um, have, have taken away from the club game a little bit. It always happens, especially with World Cup qualifying getting underway. But in, in general terms, how has this apertura been, uh, in terms of the quality of the soccer? And, you know, uh, big picture, the advancement of some of these clubs who are, again, trying to, you know, trying to find success. We always talk about Guadalajara, of course, but but beyond them. Yeah, I think that it's been a bit, bit of a mixed bag. Um, I think one of the major stories has been kind of Pumas, uh, obviously one of one of Mexico's big four clubs. You know, they, they've um, you know they've won eleven out of the sixteen games, the top of the league. So, you know, I think that's a a, a big thing for for them, and um, you know, it's good for the game that a team like Pumas are are doing so well. Um, I think aside from that, Tigres. The earlier in the season, they lost the Copa Libertadores final. Um, they also lost a few games in the league because they were playing a B team. But since then, they've just been, they've just gone from strength to strength. And, uh, you know, for me, if, if I'm picking out one team who, who I'd, you know, put money on for the playoffs, it would be Tigres. I mean, you know, you got the, uh, Andre Pierre Gignac experiment. Um, you know, he's just been called up to France. Obviously, we had the tragic um, events over there in Paris, but you know he actually started the game, the last game against England. So you know it looks like he's going to be, you know, possibly at the Euros next summer. So for Tigres for the Mexican game, I think that's a, a huge, huge boost. I mean, mm-hmm. to to have an international at a team like France, who I think is might actually be the favourite for the Euros next year. Um, you know, it, it's huge, and and you know I'd put my money on Tigres. America were there as well. You know, I'd, I think Tigres and then America. I'd go for. Uh, Okay. So in terms of the favorites, but um but yeah, I mean it's That's, the it's the playoff anything can happen. Th- those are the those are the money clubs, right? I mean, uh, these are the clubs spending the most cash right now in terms of their payroll, Tom. 
Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and the other team is Monterrey. And I think, you know, if Monterrey sneaks in there, we've seen Edwin Cardona. We've, we've seen him recently play for Colombia. I mean, a top, top talent. Be interesting to see how, how long Monterrey can keep up, keep hold of him. But if Monterrey sneak in, you know, they, they'd definitely be the my dark horse. I mean, I think player for player, they're, they're such a top team right now. All right. Let's, let's look. I mean, again, the, the nature of the, 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 the format in, in Mexico. You know, it punishes teams who start poorly. It's obviously sort of a sprint to the playoffs um, over in Apatora or a Clasora. Uh, but when you look up at the at the standings and you see, okay, Guadalajara in twelfth, and you know, not that long ago we were tracking whether or not they might be a relegation uh, in relegation danger. You can update me on that. But certainly, clubs like Pachuca, Cruz Azul, Atlas, who has had some some success in recent times, and then uh, for for a lot of Americans, Tijuana's on the top of our interest list, and they're in last place. Yeah, Tijuana just had a nightmare season. Just really nothing has gone well at all. Um, and obviously the, the big thing now, Miguel Herrera has come in and I think that it's just a massive, massive signing for, for Tijuana. I think it's going to really turn around as well because there's just going to be so much interest in, in the club. Um, yeah, and the current champion, Santos Laguna, down in, down in 17th yeah, place. Yeah. I mean, you just really can't predict things in the Mexican league these days. Um, Chivas' season has been Mixed, I mean, Vergara sacked Chepo de la Torre very early in the season. Um, Mateus Almeida, the former Argentine international, is, is now in charge. They're actually playing some really good football, but, um, you know, they're out of the playoff race already and, and they're actually in the, in the relegation battle. I mean, if they don't start 2016 well, then, you know, they definitely, uh, potentially could be relegated. Mm-hmm. Um, Pachuca for me, you know, I think it's a real shame that they're not in the playoffs because I think, the, the the team that play the best football, um, you know, very attacking, but but in defence they uh, they leave themselves really open. So that's that's basically why they're not in the playoffs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then you've got a team like Cruz Azul, another you know should be right near the top, another big spender actually, Jason, really big spender on wages, but you know down in fourteenth and and Atlas, Atlas just can't seem to do anything right. I mean, uh, they, they've also got money after the, the takeover from TV Azteca, but um. They just just can't get it together. Uh, going back to, to, to Chivas, I know that uh, that Chivas won the the, the Copa MX for the Apertura. How how big of a deal is that? I I know I I was following you. I'm following obviously following Eric Gomez. Uh, we I see the the quotes coming out of Vagara's mouth uh, about. Uh, you know, and then maybe that he he's getting a little stick, uh, uh, the 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 piss taken out of him by the reporters there. How has that gone over at Chivas? Just the notion that winning this trophy means something for a club that has underachieved so much under under Vergara. I mean, it's yeah. I think they deserve to celebrate. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a it's a major trophy. It's like you know, it's a big club that's been starved of success for so long. I mean, the last trophy was. 2006 so you know i can see the why why they were celebrating so much i mean the thing that really i didn't understand and i think a lot of people didn't understand was the next this they won the cup on a wednesday night they had a big game on the saturday against dorados which they needed to win to really stay in the playoff race and then on the thursday night they they organized a a bus parade around the city (laughs) and i mean i mean that was the point where you're like wait up this is too much now i mean win the cup, have a night out on Wednesday, have a couple of drinks, and then Thursday, you know, get down to it, get preparing for that game on Saturday, whereas instead of doing that, they, they had a bus parade and, and you know, there wasn't many people there. I mean, the Chivas fans are so, so desperate to to win the league. I mean, America are now the most successful club 
in Mexico in terms of league titles. And that really hurts Chivas. It really does. And, and, um, and yeah, having a bus parade around the city, um, was something that, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you look at like European clubs who have done the treble before and stuff. And, you know, you can't imagine them winning the cup, you know, a month before the season's ended and then going on a parade. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly down to Vagara then, right? Like, we haven't won much. Um, I want an, I, here's an excuse for me to celebrate. Let's go have a party, even if there is a lot of, there are a lot of reasons not to have that party on that Thursday. Yeah. I mean, the other one is in, is in, uh, Vagara's in a, uh, pretty serious legal battle for control of the club with, uh, with his, ex-wife. I think his ex-wife now <laughs> and Helica Fuentes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, They're it gets a, a bit boring duo. because every day there's new stories about one suing the other. They're both suing each other. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but I think it's a, a statement that, you know, I'm in control as well. It, it, it sounds very, it sounds very telenovela, uh, with <laughs> Angelica Fentes and, 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 and Vergara go up against each other. Uh, divorce involved. It's never good for a football club. All right, Tom, let's, uh, let's move on to some rumors, some things floating around the edges when it comes to players and, and the like. Uh, you mentioned before we came on the air, and, and I was not aware of this, um, that there are some, there's some chatter out there about Fabian Castillo, obviously a, a, an FC Dallas player right now. They're still in the playoffs. They're going for an MLS Cup. He's just gotten a chance to, to look, uh, to get a look with the Colombian national team. There may be some interest, uh, in him in Mexico. Yeah, that's what um that's what I'm I'm hearing. Um I'm hearing that, that Club America are negotiating for uh Fabian Castillo right now that you know, we're talking figures over over seven million dollars. Um obviously recent recently been capped by Colombia, so I think that the you know, the interest is obviously gonna be sky high just because the reputation of Colombian players right now is, is also um has been has been boosted. I mean it's it's they've got a great reputation. So so yeah, I mean I think uh Ruben Sambuesa for America looks like he's gonna be heading off. Um so I think they're, they're after Castillo. From what I've heard, negotiations are, are quite quite far down the line. Um you know I'm not saying that tomorrow is going to be announced or anything, but you know that they're definitely in American are definitely interested yeah. and um you know, it's going to be fascinating to see to see how that develops. I, I would I would be curious to know, and I'm not sure you have any information, but I'd be curious to know if there are if there's any competition for for Castillo coming from perhaps some European sources. I mean, he seems like the type of player who might thrive uh, just just sort of as Freddie Montero did after his brief return to Colombia in, in in a place like Portugal. Although I'm not sure they're I'm not, maybe the financial concerns are are actually. Uh, in Club America's favor, they have more to spend than than a lot of those uh, Portuguese clubs might. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think you know that's something you know that has to be taken into account. I think that you know I think earlier last month there was a there was a story about Swansea City being interested in Castillo. Um, I think going back a, a bit more, there's been a couple of Italian clubs, but smaller ones interested in him. So you know, it, it, yeah, it's that it's that you know w- w- which club can pay. Um, to, to get him out there of FC Dallas, and obviously Dallas aren't going to be, you know, they've got a Colombian international now, and it's somebody who's yeah. who's at a great age. So you know that they'll be if they if they are going to sell, which I don't know if they're negotiating, then I imagine that they must be at least slightly open to, then um, then you know they'll be, they'll be wanting a lot of money for him. But, I, I'd, be, um, I'd be you know if I was an FC Dallas fan again with him in the playoffs and. Um, 
you know, there's some thought that maybe they've arrived a year early at this point in where they are in their in, under Oscar Breja, and and he's done a fantastic job. But the, their program, their structure, their emphasis on homegrown talent maybe is delivering even earlier than people thought. But if if they have to, if they end up selling Castillo, because that would be good business. I mean, there's no arguing that, Tom. You, you don't hold on to a guy who's worth seven, maybe eight million dollars. Just because you have a thought about winning a title, if you're an MLS team who is then going to turn turn that money back into investment in your young players, so I I, I just I, if I was an FC Dallas fan, that would this would perk up my ears a lot if these are things are ongoing while they're trying to march their way to a championship. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a difficult one, but obviously, you know, I think America from America's point of view, they want to get this done as soon as possible. America playing in the in the Club World Cup as well. So I think they're trying to, trying to kind of do the business beforehand before they go over there to, to Japan, I believe it is. So, um, so yeah, um, I don't know though. I mean, what, I think the FC Dallas this season, from, from speaking to people down here and, and obviously the journalists who, who are kind of, you know, following both leagues, I think that they're a team that really has caught people's eye mm-hmm. in terms of the way they play, in terms of the way that they've got young Latino Talent playing as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the obvious example is you know Jesse uh, Gonzalez Jesse there, but mm-hmm. you know there's quite a few players there, and I think Castillo's one of them as well. So I mean, I think from a Dallas and MLS point of view, I think they're the type of team that that you really want to see develop and stay together. And I think you know I don't think it's it's good. For, I think it's obviously a, a kind of black hole for for MLS when mm-hmm. when they lose players like Castillo um, and they're not going to huge European clubs. Yeah. And and the other one I think for me was uh, Benedo at, at Galaxy. I mean, I think it's something that I, I mean I don't follow MLS as as much as you, Jason. But I think they need to keep these players. You know, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what happened with Benedo. That that seems like uh, the Galaxy really either screwed that up or, or they were hamstrung by some of the the league rules. Which I mean, again, this is when you talk about it. It's a black hole. It's not good to lose a player like Castillo, even if Club America is the biggest club in this particular part of the world. To lose uh, a 23 year old. Colombian international now of that particular ability to have him go off no matter what the investment or what the, the, the monetary return is, is a net negative for the league as a whole in terms of pushing its agenda as a quality soccer competition. Um, Pinedo's a little bit of a different story. I, I just, you know, while we're talking about FC Dallas, I just uh, feel like it's necessary to, to make to, to mention Victor Ujoa, who has been fantastic for yeah. them as well and has Mexican roots. Um, since we're talking rumors, uh, that's an outgoing, potentially outgoing rumor uh, for a player going to Mexico. There's there's rumors of a, a potentially another Mexican international arriving in MLS or considering MLS. And look, you know, obviously it's one thing for for Giovanni Los Santos, who was left out of the most recent Mexico squad and seems to be on the fringes anyway, even before he arrived. It's a different thing for him to come and play for the Galaxy than it is for say Chicharito to to consider a, a contract. Where does Marco Fabian, who's been linked to to the MLS, fall in that spectrum? Yeah, I think Fabian is. Um, I think he's on the outside at the minute, very definitely um, of the Mexico squad. I mean, in terms of talent, I don't think there are many Mexican players that are better. I mean, I watch him pretty much every week here at Chivas, and um, he's is highly talented. I mean, the ease that he can get past players is is ridiculous. The balance that he has on the ball is is something that. That should it should be in Europe right now. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we, we've seen Fox Deportes put out a story um, saying that there is definite interest. 
that you know I think that the fee that there's a buyout clause for clubs outside of Mexico, and I believe I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it was five million dollars. So obviously that's that's a fee that an MLS club could pay. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, Fabian, you know, I think he's he's desperate. I think he wants to get out of Chivas yeah. because he's been there all all his life, and and he's you know I think he's he's been so desperate to go to Europe throughout his career. Um, but I think a change of scenery would would do him well, and, and you know I, I think it's something that isn't necessarily again isn't necessarily going to happen tomorrow. I think Fabiano's going to have a long hard think about it, um, but it does seem like there are there are possibilities there with MLS, and and that I think the player's going to consider it, and um, you know I, th- I think um, he'll have, he'll, have, he'll have a decision to make eventually. But um, he, he had an offering from Qatar, um, I think. A year or maybe two years ago, and um, he was on the point of signing. I mean, a massive, massive money deal. Um, he ended up staying. He ended up uh, having his head yeah, turned. He was persuading him to stay. But this is a player who has considered, you know, um, moves away from Mexico before. I don't know. I mean, the the that that particular move to the Middle East at, at that age. I mean, I know it's a lot of money, and, and it makes you wonder. I, I don't like judging players. They have different reasons for making their decisions. Where they, where they go and, and, and what they decide to play for. A lot of them, it's, it's, you know, for a player like Marco Fabiani, it might be about, uh, supporting his family. And, and I can't judge that, but you certainly want a player of his age to want to be more, uh, adventurous. I mean, we say it all the time about MLS players and, and, and American players and whether or not they're going to go overseas. For Fabian, if, if that, if that talent isn't, isn't being utilized to its full extent and he doesn't end up in a, in a European locale, doing his thing, that, that that on some level, Tom, that's a that's a bit of a tragedy. Yeah, I think two things. I think firstly, he was he was he, didn't, he wasn't he wasn't lucky. I think Chivas were asking for so much money after the Olympics because he was one of the one of the Olympic gold medal winners, and he, he on his his stock right then was really really high. But Chivas were asking for so much money for him that I think that stopped the move. And I think Fabian, to be fair to him, really really wanted to go, but it just it didn't happen because of the club. Um, and and since then, I think he's been he's been very consistent. I mean, you, you go on YouTube and you look at his goals, and you're like, this guy must be up there with the best in the world. But he just he, he fails to do it consistently week in week out, and that's been something that's really hampered his career. Um, the other thing is that I think is fascinating with this deal is that obviously Fabian's going to get paid a lot of money if he goes to MLS because we we think the deal would be designated player sure, um, status. So have to be. But I think I think what it does tell you, and I mean, let's let's. I mean, it seems like Fabian's considering it. Mm. I think it, what it does is like what it does tell you, and you know, that I think is fascinating be- between the MLS and Liga MX kind of dynamic is that if a player like Fabian is considering MLS at this stage of his career, I think it speaks very highly of MLS and, and the ability okay. to to attract Mexican players. Because from my point of view, speaking to players, I think that as soon as MLS can get near the league MX's wages, I think we're going to get more and more yeah. Mexican players going over there. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I there, think there's there, there are a lot of advantages here um, th- that are that are obvious. Um, and, and and why wouldn't you? I mean, and there's a there's already a built in uh, you know th- there's a built in comfort level with some of the fans that are, that are be here and will be attracted. I mean, I'm obviously Giovanni dos Santos moves to L.A. in part because there's a large Mexican community he can feel comfortable in. Tommy doesn't have to be sort of floating out there in a new culture is whereas he might have done might have had to have done that if he took an opportunity to to say 
you know, try somewhere in Central Europe or something. I mean, I'm not saying that that was a possibility, but the, yeah. that's like that's one of those paths that these players can take. Certainly for Marco Fabian as well. Um, before I let you go, and I'm running out of time, I want to ask you about Kubo Torres because uh, rumors out of Houston are Kubo is uh, on the trading block, which is a fascinating turn of events for a player who was highly prized after his Chivas USA exploits. Um, obviously had the issues back home in Mexico legally. Uh, he does not seem to be an Owen Coyle player, which I'm not sure is a su- surprise to anybody, but there was a significant fee attached to getting him out of, of, of Chivas and back into MLS. What does this mean for, for, for a young player who still has a lot of growth? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not ideal for Torres because when he came back to Chivas, um, be, you know, before before we joined Houston, he, he actually wasn't playing as well. I mean, Chepo de la Torre just... Basically, didn't he, he didn't he didn't fancy him? He played Omar Bravo every week, and Chepo de la Torre in one interview, I remember he was really critical of Kubo, and he, he criticised his training as well. He said, "If if this guy isn't going to train hundred percent, then he's not going to get in my team." I mean, and and Chepo's kind of like this military, um, you know, he's like a sergeant major or something. So you know, that, that's that's his mentality. But he didn't he didn't look good for Kubo, and. Um, yeah, I think the problems back home, I mean, it's difficult to know, but I think they really, really hurt him. I think they hurt him because he didn't go up there to Houston kind of in rhythm. He hadn't been playing. Um, then he had all these problems and, you know, he wasn't really, he wasn't playing. So he got there and then all of a sudden he's, he's trying to adapt to a new team, a new style. Like you said, you know, maybe Owen Coyle's style didn't suit him either. You know, the, turning that on its head. So. I don't know. It's it's an interesting one for Kubo. He needs to do something because at the end of the day, Mexico don't have many strikers that are kind of under the age of twenty four that are playing regularly and scoring goals. So, you know, the, the path to the national team is still open to Torres. Should he should he get regular minutes and, and start banging in some goals? Yeah, well, let's hope that it turns around. And regardless of where he ends up, um, whether he stays in Houston again, I, I just think that's a bad fit with Owen Coyle or moves on with MLS. He, he's got a. He, I don't think that his salary is overly large, Tom. It, it, it was basically about that transfer fee. And again, I don't know how that burden is shifted because MLS does things so strangely. Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter. You're probably already following him. If you're not, I don't know what your problem is. Go do it right now. Uh, we got, like I said, we have the last weekend of, of the, uh, the, the Apertura down in League, in League of X, uh, with the playoffs, uh, coming around the corner. And as always on topics of L3, Tom is your go-to guy along with a couple of other notable, uh, soccer morning guests. Tom, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks a lot for having me. There goes Tom Marshall. Good stuff from him. Let's take a break. We'll come back. It's Friday. Phone lines will be open for you. Give me a call. YouTube's back. I'm feeling good. It's Friday. We're all going to go get our drink on later. Let's talk some soccer before that happens. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go. Soccer Morning on a Friday. Phone lines open, 646-832-3909. And here's the good thing. I know I'm all fired up and I'm talking fast. Let me try that again. 646-832-3909. 
You get to talk to Trevor today. Yay, Trevor's back on screening duty. The the video's up, the the call screening software is working again. The 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 machine is just humming along and just in time too. Just in time to talk MLS Cup playoffs, talk uh NASL expansion perhaps. Clayton in Oklahoma, you're on the air. Hey Jason. Uh just calling to talk about uh about Raya OKC from the perspective of someone actually from OKC. Alright, good. I'm glad. I, I I always want to get the local perspective. I know sometimes I throw out generalities and sometimes I question decisions that are made without under any understanding of what's happening on the ground so absolutely want this information clayton and and so i will allow you to throw it all out there but my first question is because this is the one for me is does this make any sense um i mean not really (laughs) (laughs) you know seeing soccer grow in oklahoma city over the past few years with energy fc uh has been pretty amazing and that being said Oklahoma City is not big enough of a city to see and support two soccer teams. Uh, you know, Energy FC is, is growing rapidly just as Oklahoma City is as a city. But, you know, we barely, I mean, we support, like, the, in the NBA, we support the Thunder well, but it's hard to even support them at times. And just adding more and more sports is just going to have, you know, we're not big enough economically to support a whole bunch of different sports mm-hmm. yet. And supporting two conflicting soccer teams in different leagues, it's it's probably going to be too much. And personally, I, I just see one of the teams is going to end up folding. And I would more than likely say that that's the, the team coming in that doesn't already have an established fan base. Yeah, look, you know, so much to me, and here's the, it's a double whammy. It's not only about Oklahoma already having a team in the energy and whether or not that's a level that Oklahoma soccer fans on the whole are noticing or not. I don't know, but they seem to be, to have a, a good head start and to have been relatively strong out of the gates. Um, not only is there that to compete with, which you question from an NASL perspective, but then the, to hinge everything on Rio Vallecano, like really, like this, this, this particular club, and we had David Cartledge on the show yesterday talking about this. For the fans of Rio Vallecano, this makes that, that are in Spain, this makes no sense because not only um, are you doing investing in something thousands of miles away in a town that probably none of them have heard of. No offense, to Oklahoma City, but you're also spending money on a project when you have issues at home i mean the announcement came out about rio okc and i had somebody on twitter tell me that their academy coaches haven't been paid in three months how how does that jive with investing in nesl i I mean it doesn't and i mean the point of it being rio viacano is it's a perfect example you know people here have absolutely no idea how to pronounce that. I know that maybe that's not a very good example, but we, you know, Jared and but, I had some you know, fun with people, that. People Jared, have never heard of them. Clayton, Jared and I had some fun with that on Best Soccer Show, and we were try- we weren't trying to be mean about it, but we were like, Rayo Vala Volcano. <laughs> like, come on. I, I remember hearing that, and and that, that's exactly right. I mean, being a pretty big soccer fan, I had obviously heard of the club before. Although, as far as I know, their most notable thing that people know of them for right now is Michu, who's not even doing anything anymore. Yeah. I mean look they have a they have a history of developing some players, but that you have to be wonky. You have to you have to be into soccer a lot 
to know this club. And so th- that means that there's not really any name recognition coming to the table with this team in Oklahoma City. They're going to have to start from absolute zero. If it was Real Madrid, OKC, it would make no sense. But if it was that... Then yeah, sure. We get some we get some bleed over from people who watch Spanish soccer. Or if it was some other big time European outfit, it's not. It's Rio Vallecano. It's you know it's it's an also ran in La Liga that that you know is trying to manage not to get uh, relegated. I, I just I just don't know, Clayton. I, I hope it works. Are you are you do you identify as an energy fan? Definitely. Okay. I, I wear, I have multiple shirts I wear all the time. I guess that's not a good example, but you know, I've, I've been to a handful of games, including all of their playoff games this year. I, I identify myself as good. not just I a mean, soccer that, fan, but and as that's an energy great. fan. That's great. So now the question is, have all of the, all of the new soccer fans who are likely to go out and watch live soccer and spend some money on tickets, and I can't imagine it's super expensive to go to see energy games, but are those people all now taken? Have they been claimed? And what is it about Rio OKC or NASL that will draw people to them uh, either away from the energy or draw people who aren't committed to the energy? And how many of those people are there in Oklahoma City? These are the questions, Clayton. Yeah, and I think that the main thing that would probably draw people from Energy FC to Ryo OKC is more than likely going to be the level of play. If the level of play is significantly better, yeah. which I can't really anticipate that it really is made that much better. It may be better, but it, it may not be that much better. You know, it's not really going to draw people away from an already established fan base here. Yeah. Clayton, I got to run. I got some other people waiting. I appreciate the phone call, man. You got anything else? A parting shot before I let you go? Uh, no, that's all I have for I today. I appreciate it, man. Good support in uh, soccer in Oklahoma City. Um, certainly an interesting ground for the soccer wars to be taking place on. Mark Fishkin's on the line, host of Seeing Red, uh, wonderful soccer guy whose team is in the conference finals. I imagine that's uh, part of what he wants to talk about. Hi, Mark. I actually wanted to talk more about Oklahoma City. Did that's you really? Why. No, actually not. I did want to, in fact, talk about uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay. Very, very excited uh, about, I think we're going to see a lot more positive soccer than we did uh, in the semifinal series with D.C. I, I would imagine. D.C. Is, uh, DC is a pretty dour team. Both of these teams want to go at each other. Uh, you know, it's, it's very, you don't have to be an expert here. I mean, you don't have to be an adept TV analyst level quality uh, to say something like it comes down to how quickly the Red Bulls can turn the ball over with their high press and whether or not they can exploit the spaces opened up when Columbus pushes high. And then from the other side of, of, of the coin, it's whether or not Columbus can make those those high pushes count on their end uh, and score goals against a, a pretty resolute uh, Red Bulls defense. Yeah, for sure. And consider uh, there's some interesting subplots here. Kai Kamara, 22 goals on the year, zero goals against the Red Bulls in three matches during the regular season. Also, the fact that Will Trapp did not play during the Red Bulls in any of those games, and obviously he's really, really important. But for me, I mean, it's all about the two midfield triangles. And when you think about Columbus's uh, triangles of Trapp and Higuain and Shawnee, and then on the New York side, you've got Sasha and Dax and Felipe. I, I think the nod has to be um, to New York. I mean, I, I, I would take those three guys over the other three guys for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm on video today, and I'm drawing triangles with my pen in the air as you're talking. And I'm wondering <laughs> if, tre- if Trevor can, like, in live, in real time, make the line show the tr- – never mind. It's like very Sesame Street <laughs> over here. Uh, Mark, all right, so you, you got to feel pretty good. Uh, I, I, saw, I mentioned this yesterday. 
football manager has Columbus winning this. I mean, I don't know that that's over. That's a that's a huge reach, but I mean, the Red Bulls are are favorites, and everything seems to be clicking, and everything seems to be to be happy. Um, and again, that's not always been the Red Bulls' um, uh, mo. Yeah, well, I mean, I think since the start of the 2013 season, it's hard to argue that they haven't been one of the better teams in the league. I mean, two shields in three years, two straight conference finals for the first time in club history. That's never happened before. Um, by no means is this going to be a walk. I mean, this is going to be a rough and tumble series with a lot of attacking, uh, a lot of attacking play. You know, the Red Bulls have four guys on yellows that any one of them uh, pick up another one on Sunday in Columbus, it's going to be very, very, very tough yeah. to win the series. I mean, it's, you know, if, if ironically, if there's anyone that I think the New York, that New York could survive without, it's Bradley picking up a yellow um, and missing the, the, the home leg at Red Bulls um, simply because I think there are other, there's other attacking talent, whether it's Gonzalo Verón or whether it's Anatole Bon, who has scored against Columbus, could come back and play up top. If it, if question picks up a yellow, it's going to be very, very difficult for New yeah, York the, to win the, the series. The four are Miazga, Zubar, Wright Phillips, and question And, and yeah, I that, mean, that's right. outside of, and Wright Phillips is obviously a great goal scorer, but there's enough, there's enough other options. Lloyd Sam, and, and certainly, as you mentioned, uh, whether it's uh, Verone or, or uh, a bonk, there are guys who can step in and maybe find that goal. When you lose, if you lose, if you lose Kleshin out of that midfield triangle you just talked about, if you lose Zubar, yep. who uh, has stepped in for Paranel, and Paranel's gone, he can't come back this uh, this year, and, and Miazga, obviously, both central defenders. I mean, imagine if they both got yellows. I hate to say it, but imagine if they both got yellows. No, I, yeah, I mean, with Kamara's stand-up play and physicality in the box, it, it would not be out of the realm of reason that one or possibly both um, would pick up yellows, and you know, then you're looking at a guy like Carl Wiemet, good, you know, solid young defender, but he certainly not yeah, yeah. Um, cannot do what either of those two guys do. So yeah, again, um, I joined the massive report this week to to talk to those guys about about um, the series, and extra time would not surprise me necessarily. And at that point, you have to flip a coin. But um, you know, the high press has shown very, very, um, been very, very adept at disrupting Columbus, who doesn't play well at the back, especially without sorrow in the first leg. And um, if they can, even if they get one goal in Columbus, yeah. <clears throat> maybe come home down 2-1, to one, I still would feel good about the rest Yeah, of I think you would. Chances. I think you would. I mean, so much, so much hinges on how they play, as you said, how they play, how they're able to keep the ball out of the back, get it to those wide players. I mean, Chani and Trapp are absolutely crucial by the way I, I do like that we have matt miazga the future of the u.s central defense 20 years old will trap a young player as well who's made a mark mm-hmm. in mls already by the way watch some of this uh, very excellent mls insider on on columbus beating montreal yeah. and uh, will trap's voice definitely cracks so that's how young that guy is <laughs> uh, mark fishkin from seeing red joining us on soccer morning mark anything else before i let you go get a prediction you, you do you, are you predicting 2-1 on sunday or are you going to go yeah else? i'm going to call it 2-1 columbus on sunday to okay. set up uh a very very intense second leg. By the way, both atmospheres should be off the chain. I know Columbus has sold out, and I believe last time I checked, the Red Bulls were either sold out or very very close to selling out. Red Bull. Arena. Red Bulls are all. Red Bulls are also sold out. There you go. Right it's going to be. It's going to be on fire. It's going to be fire, Mark. Yep. And that's what you should say when people ask you. It's going to be fire. That's how you say it. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Appreciate it. 
Be well. There goes Mark Fishkin. He's never going to say that the game's going to be fire. He'll never say that. Patrick down in Clemson, Clemson, South Carolina. Huh? <laughs> Hi. Yeah, that, that was going to be my first play. I listened back to the show I called on Wednesday, and you kept saying Clemson wrong. You said it like Clemson, something like that, almost like Clemson, which is totally wrong. It's spelled. It's it sounds how it's spelled. Clemson. My my, uh, my my finger is hovering over the drop button right now, uh, Patrick. Uh, what <laughs> what, what besides correcting my pronunciation of Clemson? What else do you have on your mind? Hey, I, I was listening to the past couple shows and uh, a lot of callers calling in about you know the development of U.S. players and you know a lot of people saying oh the college game is is pretty bad for our players, stump start growth, and you know I don't know that I necessarily disagree with that, but. Um, something that I, I was going to mention Wednesday that I forgot about was uh, women's tournaments also underway for NCAA, okay. and that just got me thinking that uh, for the women, I mean, we have the best team in the world, and all of our women come up through NCAA soccer. I mean, all of them do. Okay, what's the difference, Patrick? I mean, what's what's the difference well, between the, the men's game I, and the I women's mean, game? It, it's it's well, it's the rest of the world, right? It's what the rest of the world yeah, is doing. Exactly. And they, the rest of the world is so far behind in terms of the number of girls playing, the coaching that they're getting, that the United States has had an advantage. And and un, this is not to take away. I've had this. Uh, I, I've made this point several times. This is not to take away. In fact, I even wrote this up for four four two during or ahead of the women's World Cup. Not to take away from what the U.S. women did or the talent that they have, but the the head start that we had in women's soccer uh, as a, compared to the rest of the world, because the rest of the world was retrograde and and very uh, sexist about about their attitudes towards women playing soccer. The head start the United States has had is still bearing fruit. It's it's maybe taken a step back, and, and it took six, uh, sixteen years for the United States to win uh, another World Cup, but it's still there. It's still evident in. Again, as you said, in the, in the college game, being a, a producer of talent for the women, that it simply can't be for the men. Right. I mean, that that's sort of the same along the lines that I was thinking. Uh, is that, you know, we have this head start, and you know, no one else really even had a, a, a true pipeline for women players to come up. And my next thought was, you know, at some point in the future, is do you think that like the men's game, the college college soccer is just not going to be enough? For the women, if we want to see the United States Maybe. keep winning women's World Cups. Maybe. And here's something I don't know a hole in my knowledge, and I, I can check in with uh, uh, we got friends in Germany, we got friends in France, we got friends in England, clearly, and ask them. I don't know. I know, look, there's a ladies this team, a ladies that team in England. We know Bayern Munich has a has a, a women's team, and, and there are uh, a PSG, and uh, or is it, is it Marseille that's the, the best one over there, or Lyon? I think it's Lyon. Um, they, they obviously are invested in women's soccer, but I wonder if they are invested in developing women's soccer players, because these are two very different things. You can, you know, go and find players and sign them up and put the team together and play some, some, some games and get some fans and, and do good things for women's soccer. But are you, are you spending money on, on young players, on 13-year-old girls coming through a system? Because why do, why do men's clubs do that? Because it's in their best interest, both in terms of producing players for their senior team, but also financially. But also in terms of money, uh, you know, uh, a, a club like La Havre, where Bob Bradley just ended up, they want to develop players, not really so that they can develop first teamers who are going to help them win games, but because it's going to help them stay afloat as a club that they can sell a, a, guy, a kid for 5 million euros. There's no money like that in the women's game. That doesn't exist. So until we get to that point, I don't know that the United States is really going to have a reckoning on that level. And, and maybe by then, maybe by then the United States is 
putting that the MLS teams and, and NWS teams, uh, NWSL teams are partnering to create academies that, that do that for the women's game here. Patrick, maybe we get that. Well, that's a good point. Right. Appreciate the call, Patrick. Got anything else? Uh, that's it. Uh, go right. Tigers. Go Clemson Tigers. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Bo Durr, who certainly knows the women's game, uh, on Twitter, one of the questions for the women's game, will the demise of the USL's W League hinder player development in, in college years? And, and, yeah, I mean, obviously a, an important thing to consider because w- what you've got there is a a, a parallel, uh, a, another option to go play and get better outside of the college season for a lot of these, these women players that now if that goes away, how do you fill that void? I mean, you know, that's not every women, every female player coming through and getting that experience, but certainly it has helped some of them. And, and again, I, I, we are so, so early in the, in the, in, in the existence of the NWSL and, and so much focus after WUSA, after WPS is just on keeping it going, just on keeping these teams afloat, just on making sure that next year we have not just the same, you know, not, not just a league, but the same number of teams and nobody goes, uh, disappears because they can't afford to, to run their team anymore. Uh, so much focus is on that, that it really is premature to even imagine, okay, let's, let's figure out a way to start to develop women players w- w- the same way we develop men players. Uh, uh, that, that is, and again, the, the functional, practical part of all of that is that there's money in developing a, a, a 19-year-old male soccer player that there isn't there for a, a 19-year-old women's soccer player. I mean, that's not, that's not right. It's just the way things are. So w- until there's a market for that, I don't know if there's a, a widespread incentive, not just here in the U.S., but abroad. I mean, again, is, is Leon putting money into a, an academy for girls out of a, a real commitment because it, it's going to pay dividends or because it's the right thing to do? Until we move past the notion that women's soccer is somehow charity, which is, again, unfair to women's soccer and certainly sells that game short, we're not going to see the sort of real developmental investment and maybe women's soccer doesn't need to parallel the men's game. Maybe it needs its own path, but that's not clear yet what that is. Maybe college soccer continues to be that place, and if we can find some places for, for women to play uh, during their college formative college years that replaces the W League, maybe. Maybe there's something there. Maybe, the, maybe that's a, a better way. If you, if you had to start from scratch with the men's game, would you want it the way it is? Would, would we, if we were doing a... a, a, a a fair assessment of the machine that is men's development around the world and academies and player sales and scouting and, and some of the uh, exploitation that happens. Would we continue to do that? I, I don't know that we would. I mean, it's sort of in the same vein as if you asked all of the, the top uh, club presidents in Europe, if they would get rid of pro Ralph, they could, they'd say yes. And they would start over and go, you know, on, on a very American style of system. Because in their minds, that's probably better, but they can't do anything about a system that already exists. It's, it's an interesting question. All right. Last call for phone calls, 646-832-3909. Very thought-provoking stuff. We haven't really touched on Portland and FC Dallas, um, except a little bit with Tom Marshall as it relates to Fabian Castillo. Are we potentially seeing the last couple of matches for Fabian Castillo? If Portland wins this series, these might be the last two games that Fabian Castillo plays in an FC Dallas shirt, in MLS, should this deal to Club America come come to pass? 
he's an incredibly talented player. He's 23 years old. It started to click for him in 2015 in a way that I don't think it has before. Uh, obviously, getting uh, recognized by the Columbia national team and having an opportunity to get capped there is a big deal. Does that mean he's got a, a direct influence on that team for the next 10 years? No, not necessarily. But he's clearly a guy that's caught the eye of some people. And for him, consider his options. If there's a European option, maybe he considers that. But if Club America comes in with more money and there is um, still attention on him for Colombia from uh, Jose Peckerman or whoever's in charge, then he may decide that Mexico is the place for him to go. And if you're FC Dallas, how do you turn down $7 million for Fabian Castillo? What you do and, and what, you tra- what you're then trying to do is go back and use that money to buy another player, find another player who you can then turn into the next Fabian Castillo. And maybe that's coming. If MLS can get to that point where we have a couple of clubs who are good at that thing, which is uh, identifying foreign talent, young foreign talent, who maybe is very raw, bringing them here either either out of Colombia or out of uh, uh, Ecuador, Peru, Venezuela even, then, then, then that will be a big step forward for MLS. MLS is going to be a very strange hybrid of buying and selling for the foreseeable future. And it's probably going to be more sell in terms of its top-level young talent. The young talent will go out. The slightly older talent will come in. And I don't just mean DPs that are Pirlo's age. I mean like a Marco Fabian. That's going to be where MLS is going to find its bread and butter in terms of buying players. All right, there's no more phone calls. It is Friday. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you very much to uh, Tom Marshall for his appearance on today's program. Thank you to our callers, Mark. Patrick, uh, did I miss anybody else? I think that was everybody, right? Clayton in Oklahoma, excuse me. Thank you very much. We will see you on Monday, and uh, we'll talk about those first leg in the conference finals. See you then. Bye. Oh, El Classico. All time.